0: Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. I want to dive into this quick today because we've got a lot to share. I uh, I was going to move on and uh, to another uh, source for uh, Near-Death Experiences, but I finished the chapter, just the first chapter, reading on my own um, from Visions of Glory by John Pontius, and I was astounded at some of the things that I found. And it's, it's beautiful, and it's, and it's really so simple in terms of the actual what he did, and yet the, the things that it offers is insights into the spirit world and the mind of a spirit, if you will, the, our minds as spirits, that I, I can't pass this by. This is so cool. And I believe this chapter, this whole first chapter, is offered online as a free sample um, so it's not like I'm diving too deep into copyrights. Plus, we only get to page 35, and we haven't been reading everything. We've been only sharing snippets. But, uh, I highly encourage you to get this book, and I, I hesitate to recommend books when I haven't read the whole thing, because I haven't read the rest of it yet. But again, this is Visions of Glory by John Pontius, and he's sharing the experience of one named Spencer. Um... So I'm going to dive right in. Uh, uh, remember again, uh, Spencer is in the hospital. He's died on the uh, table uh, from an allergic reaction to the uh, the blood whatevers, and and they're call They've called a code blue and got people working on his body. He is. I you know, I'm trying to recall whether at this moment he's still at his bedside. Um, I believe he at some point he even tries to get back in his body because the uh, other spirits are saying, you need to go back, you need to go into your body, and yet he tries several times and fails. It, it, It's really hard to get into, and it hurts like the Dickens every time he tries, and he's not able to stick, basically, so he keeps trying, and, and finally he decides, okay, I'm going to take a break for a bit, I'll come back, and he goes wandering around the hospital, okay, and <sighs> I'm going to do most of the commentary afterward, but I do want to say again and reemphasize, I'm not trying to share these things as if to say, this is fact, this is how it is, just so you know, kind of thing. I'm trying to say that this is the experience of somebody who's been on the other side. What it means, how it applies to each one of us, I don't know. I can only guess, but this is just fascinating. Okay, uh, continuing on, he says... Uh, it. it he was he sees many spirits around, okay, and, and as as he's looking around, wandering around, and he's describing these spirits a little bit. He says There were spirits there who did not realize that they were dead. It did not realize yet that they were dead, or they refused to accept it. These were quite peculiar to me, for they tried their best to act like a mortal, even though it was clear to me and every other spirit present that they were dead. I could understand why they didn't know they were dead. Being dead and being a disembodied spirit is a real existence. You still think like you did. You still love and hate just like before your death. You can still see people, spirits, and your own body. You can touch spiritual things and and spirit beings and feel them. So it is a real and concrete form of existence, even Though mortal things like walls and furniture can be seen and sensed but not but cannot be manipulated by spirits, I'm not sure if every spirit has the same spiritual perception I did, but I knew that their lives were real to them, even more real in some ways, because they could come and go to places very quickly and walk through walls and do things mortals can't ima- hardly can hardly imagine being newly disembodied, did not feel like the death they had expected to experience, where you just became unaware or non-existent forever. So to them, they were not dead by their previous understanding of what constitutes death. These spirits were gathered around like mortals, talking to them as, let's see, these spirits were gathered around mortals, sorry, talking to them as if they thought that the mortals were listening to them. But the mortals were completely unaware of them, just as my wife was unaware of me. These disembodied spirits were trying to get mortals attention by various actions, including shouting at them. These spirits were dressed like normal mortals. They had little glory around them. I began thinking of them as recently disembodied spirits. These spirits who had recently died maintained the look, manner of dress, and shape they had while they were mortal because they seemed to still not believe they were dead. One male spirit was speaking to a young woman who appeared to be his daughter. He was upset about his business and how she had been handling it. He was shouting at her, You need to listen to me! But she had no idea that he was even there. He acted like she was just ignoring him, and this seemed to infuriate him even more. He was demanding that she do certain things with his business and his property, and he was perturbed about whatever it was she was doing wrong by his thinking. There were other spirits there who had embraced their altered state and had entered into God's employ to do his work according to his will. These angels had been sent back by God to assist their loved ones through this difficult time. These angels had recognized glow had a recognizable glow about them which told me instantly that they were good and on an errand from God. These good angels were dressed differently. Some angels wore robes while others wore old-fashioned clothing typical of when they had lived. They were there to assist the mortals with things that were happening. Some were sent to assist and prepare mortals for their own death. They were speaking comforting words, giving instructions and teaching. Even though the mortals seemed unaware of their helpers, if they were listening with their hearts, they were comforted and they began to glow with the same uh, to glow the same as the angels who were assisting them. Some of these good angels were there to minister to the spirits who could not accept their own death. These angels were dressed in white robes and were glorious to look upon. They were following the disembodied and confused spirits, speaking to them when they could get their attention and unfolding them in their glory. They had joy in their labors and purpose in their actions. They were, they were there commissioned of Jesus Christ. I understood that all of these angels were family of those whom, had, whom they had been sent, whom, to whom they had been sent. Some were recent ancestors, like parents and grandparents. others were from long ago. Okay, I'm going to jump a little bit here further, da- further on. <clears throat> there were also evil spirits in the room. They were there to tempt mortals, disrupt the work of the angels and cause any harm they could. They delighted in their in their mischief. These spirits had no light about them but uh, at all, but seemed to emanate darkness. <coughs> These evil spirits were not readable to me. I knew some things about them but not their identity or history. They gave me a bad feeling even to look at them. They seemed to be able to change their shape to more morph into some other shape if they desired. I realized that a spirit who has never been mortal has no definite spiritual shape. I saw some of these evil spirits appear as a child, others as a man in a business suit or a beautiful young woman. It became evident to me that the unborn spirits could choose their shape just as Satan did in the Garden of Eden by appearing in the shape of a snake. This was the first time I realized that spirits who never receive a physical body had the ability to appear any way they chose. They could take on the appearance of a living individual, if it helped them deceive or fulfill their assignments. They could appear as the image of a grandfather, a dead prophet, or someone's wife, if it helped in their deception. They are out to do great harm, as much as they can, and they did not like it that I could see them. Most of the evil spirits were there on assignment. They were trying to create fear, confusion, and distress. Anything that kept the mortal they were assigned to from hearing the message from the angels of light who were also there. Not only did they speak to the mortals to afflict them, but they laughed and mocked them, and delighted in their pain and fear. If they could have convinced another mortal to stand up and torture or torment their assigned target, they would have done so in an instant. They were evil beyond any definition of evil I had before understood. Most of these evil spirits were there by commission from their master. They were not just out wandering the earth looking for mischief to do. When they realized that I could see them they moved away from me, sometimes vanishing and reappearing in a different part of the room. I realized I could communicate with them, but I had little desire to do so, and they refused to do any more than glance at me before they moved away. Wow, wow, uh, we're going to come back and talk about these things later, but let's jump again. This time, several pages here back to a little bit of a positive note. Okay. Um, I paused for a moment. Excuse me. And this is while he is clearly wandering the hospital. He wanders into an office in the hospital. He says, I paused for a moment to let the flood of information settle into my mind. As I had passed through the desk, I realized that it It had been made from three different trees. I saw each tree. I knew them from the moment their seed germinated until they were harvested, milled, and crafted into this desk. There was a living component in the wood. It was intelligent, but had little will. It was content to be wood, and it was pleased that someone had chosen it to be shaped into this desk. It was a roll top desk and was quite beautiful. I knew that the desk understood the love the craftsman had put into his work on the desk. The desk also felt pure and worthy because it had never been used in anything that offended God. Because it it had never been used, that's interesting, it had never been used in anything that offended God. I want to say much more about this phenomenon of understanding physical things but words fail me. I understood the emotion and motive of the man who cut down and knew his name and all about his life too as I did everyone who ever touched or used the desk. I understood everything about the cotton stuffing in the cotton stuffing in the seat and the lever, leather from the sofa. All of it welcomed me and was pleased to communicate to me as it uh, uh, communicate to me its life and how it had come to be that couch. I understood that several cattle or I understood the several cattle whose hides covered the couch and their lives and their sacrifice. They had left all that information with their hides, but the spirit of the cow was elsewhere not in the leather. Interesting. Although although still pleased and content with the benefits to mankind that its life and sacrifice had rendered, it was pleased that it was of benefit to the children of Adam. <laughs> wow, okay. Um, I'm not going to comment yet. I'm not going to comment yet. <laughs> let's, let's continue on. Uh, page and a half later. To me, one so inexperienced in the deep and divine things of the spirit world, all of this was delicious to me. I was thrilled to experience these things and felt love coming from everything I touched, even the rocks, leather, and wood. Um, I'm trying to see, did he go outside? Why were there rocks? He talks about mosquitoes at one point, so maybe maybe he went outside. I'd have to read it again to remember for sure. Um, Okay. Um, Even the rocks, leather, and wood, I delighted in the love I felt flowing from myself back into them. It seemed that everything that had been created by God had its story and was pleased that I had been able to hear them. I only heard contentment and praise of God from these things. I found that man made things like steel and plastic were harder to walk through and had no voice. I couldn't discern their story or their history. They were dead to me at that time. I learned later that they were part of the living earth but did not learn until much later how to experience the earth. I simply was not ready for it at that time and was hardly prepared when it happened far into the millennium. Communing with A piece of wood is kind of like having a puppy step on your toe, wagging its tail, welcoming you with its cute little soul and lovable personality. Talking with the earth is like having a planet land on your body, bearing the weight of a great, great intelligence of a perfect knowledge and a flawless memory of all good and evil that has existed on her face. And of the cries of the righteous blood sur- uh, sounding up through the centuries for justice of immense sadness, godlike patience, and the most joyous rejoicing in its final deliverance, it is to stand face to face with a brilliant or with a living brilliantly intelligent being the size of a planet who is. Both loving and angry, anxious and patient, having been true and faithful in all things, it is not only something, let's see, it is not something one can prepare for without great spiritual experience and divine preparation. I was quite interested in the rocks and and natural stonework, whose voice was ancient, predating the formation of the earth. It remembered its creation and luxuriated and rejoiced in being beautiful and useful to man. I found that I liked rocks. They all magnified Christ. I liked their company and sense of timeless patience and eternal worship of Christ. Now consider, if I could enjoy rocks whose intelligence and agency is so limited and less divine... How much more profound and glorious are human beings who are so much more than rocks, yet we don't value them except for what they do for us. Every person you meet has been alive forever. They predate earthly creation and are gods in infancy, yet we see them as clerks, doctors, friends, family, or even as enemies or a source of our trials but we seldom see them as they are potential gods. I saw this as a tremendous impediment to our growth. It speaks to how far we've fallen, because not so long ago, in the eternal scope of things, when we understood the plan far more clearly, and we understood the worth of every soul, we were becoming gods, with a small g, ourselves. (laughs) Man, uh oh, okay um one more let's see. I'm gonna read one more, and this is um again referring to he he's he's wandering the hospital again, and uh let's see i think i am trying to remember if it says whose office this is or what. Um, okay, so he walks into another office, okay, he says, he says, I found a few items in the hospital that were saddened by how they had been used by their owners. A few things had been used in crimes or for violent or immoral purposes, and their voices included a cry for redemption and justice. It was not a shrill or piercing or or unpleasant sound, but it was unending, and carried the vivid details of the injustice. I knew that the object itself was not diminished or condemned, but that it waited with patience, or with patient expectation for the day of redemption. I walked through a wall into a nice office. It was more nicely furnished than the others, with beautiful pictures on the walls or ornate and ornate furniture, wooden furniture. I considered going out the door to see whose office it was, but as I walked through a desk, I was stunned by what I felt. It was longing for redemption. I realized that recently a series of love letters had been written on this desk promoting an affair that ultimately would injure many people. I knew the content... I knew the content of every letter and the true emotion and manipulation of the writer as well as as the reaction of the reader. I moved away, not wanting to remain in that stream of torrid details. I went through the couch and it likewise testified of the same affair and un- unrighteous events that had occurred here some recently. I could not find any place in that beautiful office. That was not saddened or offended or crying for redemption. Okay, that's that's. I'm gonna stop there. But again, we're only 35 pages in, and this is a 300 or no, sorry, 260-something page book. Uh, it's, <laughs> I can't wait to read the rest. But we're not gonna read it all on this podcast. If there are particular things that I come across later on, maybe I'll share them. But this is gonna be the last of the three. Um, so three of three. Uh, podcasts uh, about this book. But, oh, wow. Okay. So, let's talk about some of this. So, he talks about how there are spirits, and and I assume in the hospital, you know, I should say this, uh, with all that he saw, with all the spirits that he saw, you know, you would think that it was this madhouse of spiritual activity, you know, these evil spirits, good spirits, spirits that didn't know they were dead, and and so forth; that it was just like cram packed with people or something. But, but it helps I think to keep in mind that he had this deeply, widely insightful um, perspective on things. He could, he could sense what was going on in the next room, in the next room, and, and while he was wandering the hospital, it was like, uh, it seems to me that the closer proximity he had something, including passing through something. Um, the closer proximity it was, the more insight he had into the particular thing. He may have been able to sense, you know, for example, how many cars are in the parking lot or whatever, but may have, it may have taken a little more concentration or thought to uh, to see more detail about the particular cars or whatever, but uh, kind of like eyesight in a way. I, I'm, I'm totally speculating here. I don't know, but But it seems to me that you could stand in, you know, just in the room that you're in right now, you can look around and you can see lots of details of all different things. And um, you can read many of the words on on things, but if you get closer to them, you can read even more words. And if you get even closer, you can see more detail down to the fibers and and so forth and, and so forth. And I'm wondering if spiritually there's something similar because... Um, he may be detecting, you know, as he sees all these different things going on, some of it may be <coughs> that he's seeing it um, distance away and, and then other things closer up. And therefore, you know, it sounds like this madhouse happening within feet of him, but it's probably that he's seeing it further out and so forth. Or maybe not, I don't know. And, and maybe as he uh, continues in the spiritual state, maybe he's able to see more things as he goes along. Because, you know, when he first pops out of his body, he's not saying, oh, I could sense every person that was ever in the bed or whatever. He, he doesn't say that because his attention is on what's going on around him, on the people, whatever. Um, but it's like, as he begins to wander and, and check things out, he begins to perceive more. It seems that, again, this attention aspect is where it seems to be, um, it's not that walking through a wall instantly fills him with the knowledge of everyone who has ever touched that wall, but if he steps into the wall and stops and pays attention uh, to the wall, then more comes. And that seems to be a thing. So again, those three things now, I have to I've had to add just from this book, and not not just from this book, I, I'm sorry, but uh, um, this book puts it in such a fine, uh, clear way that, that I've heard elsewhere, but in such a way that makes me realize, huh, there is more than just time and location that are non-issue things, <laughs> if that makes sense. So... Attention is another one that seems virtually infinite. I say virtually because clearly he's not perceiving, you know, the 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 carpet of the capital of Arkansas at this time. And could he? I don't know. I I kind of doubt it, but it seems virtually infinite in the sense that. Anything around him, he can perceive it in whole. And if he passes through it, he can perceive even more and perceive the people who have been there, know their names, their, you know, their occupations, their hopes and dreams for what they did. I mean, blah, there's, is there any end to, it's like everything around him is a conduit into more knowledge about that thing and its history and the people who have passed through, you know, blah, crazy stuff. Okay, so um, let's, let's go on. <laughs> he, he talks about the spirit. Yeah, that was one that we you know, I started touching on and then stopped uh, with my distracted uh, thoughts. People that don't know they're dead. And this has always puzzled me, but his explanation is kind of sensible, I think. People that assume that death is the end of perception. And they find that they're not, and they're not gone. They're not blacked out into a permanent sleep, if you will. And they're perceiving very real conscious experiences. They're left to assume that they're still alive. And because they assume they're still alive, they're confused. Why? Why is nobody listening to me? What is going on? I mean, imagine right at this moment, if you were to just get up from what you're doing, and you were to walk, you know, say you even drove your car to the store, and you go to buy something, and they're not acknowledging your your presence. You're like, hello, hello, and maybe you even tap them on the shoulder, and they're not responding to you, and you're like, am I in some kind of alternate universe all of a sudden, because, or, or are they in some, you know, what's going on, why can I not get anybody's attention. And maybe your hand passes right through them. If your perception is I'm still alive. I'm clearly still alive. I am thinking, I am feeling, I think, therefore I am. Why can you not hear me? And you go, you touch them and you pass right through them and you're like, what the heck is going on? You know, this, I'm picturing the Star Trek where, uh, uh, next generation where Geordi and Ensign Rowe are some interphasic uh, situation where they're they're phased um, and basically experiencing this, passing through walls, passing through people, and, and so forth, but they're still hungry, and they're still, you know, whatever, and so they're not dead, obviously, in the show, and I'm picturing people in this experience that don't believe that death is just a transition into another phase of existence. They may keep thinking that they're alive for an indeterminate amount of time and there is from what this says there are spirits that are trying to help them um, those who have gone on to the light and then been sent back by god to help mortals others to help these spirits who have died and don't know that they're dead and they're only kind of getting the attention of these people who are dead because they're frustrated and they're like what you know?" And, and these people are probably thinking, what, you want me to come toward this light, you know, be abducted by these weird aliens? No way. Or I don't know what they're thinking. But you can see the potential for people's struggle with being convinced that they're dead. Uh, you know, if you start looking at it from the perspective of somebody who deeply believes they have a conviction that death is the end of And so they're not done. They're clearly not done. They're continuing feeling more alive than they ever did. So how can you say I'm dead if I feel more alive than I ever have before? So anyway, okay, let's go on. The section about evil spirits. This is a little bit disturbing and also offers many explanations for many things that we've heard. Think of the, some of the distressing near-death experiences we have of, of the horrible, torturous things that some evil spirits are doing to, to people. And you're like, what are they doing? Why would they do that? They can go into this infinite joy and love and experience the universe and so forth. Why are they doing what they're doing? And while we don't fully know, there's some interesting clues in this. Okay, there are, it says, it became evident to me that unborn spirits, meaning spirits that never even came to earth, could choose their shape. What is it about being born, it makes me wonder, that gives you this (coughs) permanent shape of me as I look right now? And I'll apologize if it gets noisy in the background, my... His uh, son just asked permission to vacuum in the background, so you may hear that in a bit here. <laughs> Apologize. but um, So, they can take on any shape they want. I would assume that they probably have a default shape like uh, dead people do, and dead people seem to take on the shape, their default shape, of their body. I mean, this is totally I mean, I don't even know where to go with this except to to be in awe at it and to you know this goes on an interesting shelf, if you will. I can see some I, I have questions about this and, and like but what about but what about you know But it does explain some things. As he says, he says, just as the snake, Or, I'm sorry, just as Satan did in the Garden of Eden, appearing in the shape of a snake. So apparently an unembodied spirit, uh, a pre-body spirit, um, can look like a snake, or look like any other person, which is interesting. Which also brings on the question, does that mean a post-mortal spirit can also take on those shapes, but that their shape as... The individual they are, is their default shape or maybe, I, you know, I just don't know. And uh, you know, I, one of the uh, Christian concerns with this, as well as my own faith, um, which leaves me wondering, well, what does that mean then, is the question of our being created in the image of God. What does it mean to be created in the image of God if, uh, if we don't have a specific shape and, and it doesn't say that they well it does say it says in here um, that spirit a spirit who has never been mortal has no definite spiritual shape now that seems very disturbing to us except for the fact that remember those who go to the other side they seem to they see someone and without even i mean they may be in this blaze of light such that you can't recognize features but they totally know that is the individual. They see their whole self. They, they sense their entire, you know, it's like vision is kind of like, you know, the taste of a person in, in mortal uh, uh, perspective. What, what does your son, for example, taste like? Well, I, I mean, I, whether or not I even know, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but if I did, that's such an inconsequential sense to remember them by that, uh, that you would never say, well, but they don't have a taste. Uh, that's freaky or that I'm confused, whatever, because all those other senses of sight and vision and so forth are so much more potent, even smell. What does, you know, you probably could say, you know, I could tell you what my wife tastes like, <laughs> but I can't tell you what other people taste like. And therefore you know, if I saw her in spirit form, and I can't see her form at the time, but I can sense everything about her, her history, her life, her her love for me, my love for her, and it's all there, what does sight even matter? It's like taste, you know, it's like, who cares, you know, and chances are that actually is there, all those senses, all, for example, the shape and says they have no definite shape. I suspect they have a shape, but whether it's a permanent default always shape is, is where the questions uh, come in. And this is something that's just like, whoa, okay, you're, you're stepping to a, a range that I, I'm not sure I'm fully ready for, but I, I have a shelf for it, which is which is I suspect there's truth in this and this, and there is something to it. I just don't know what to make of it in terms of a lot of our infinite um, nature. So what does the infinite, deepest, uh, most fundamental part of ourselves that has existed for eternity, what does that look like? Or does it have a look at all? I, you know, wow, crazy, you know, I don't, I don't understand, but I'm fascinated by it because I don't understand it. He says, uh, and this is, this is, something that um, brings on a an aspect to this whole <clears throat> thing that I think is really valuable to understand. He's talking about, again, these spirits that didn't, don't have, they were never born to earth, but they are evil in their intentions. He says, they could take on the appearance of a living individual if it helped them deceive or to fulfill their assignments they could appear in the image of a grandfather a dead prophet or sometimes or or someone's wife if it helped in their deception okay i don't want to go too far into this because we're already you know 37 minutes almost into the podcast but this is worth noting you know, I'm really into studying near-death experiences and understanding the spirit world, the spirit realm, my own spirit, what I can or can't do, as well as, you know, my connection to my Heavenly Father. That's very important to me. But this factor, and I have heard other experiences that seem to confirm this. It's just given in such clear wording here that it, it kind of... Um, validates what I've understood from other near-death experiences, and that is that spirits can imitate the spirits of others, meaning that the look, the appearance, the uh, the the sound, uh, whatever, all these earthly senses that we're familiar with of a loved one. This is the reason why I hesitate to do a lot of the things that many near-death experiencers do in confirming, to confirm uh, what they're learning. And they will go to a psychic medium, for example, and talk to them and make a connection with a grandmother, grandfather, uh, a parent, whatever. And it's not to say that that's not possible. I do think it probably is possible. I, in fact, I, I think there have been experiences that, where I've sensed the presence of my grandmother, for example, or sense the presence of my grandfather, um, people I know who have died, and I think they're there. And, and I do believe, and I give this as a belief, not a knowledge, but, you know, not something I have firm conviction of, but I suspect strongly that a medium is someone who has connection to spirits on the other side. I also suspect that many who do, you know, for example, uh, um, past life regressions and so forth, have a connection to spirits on the other side. I think that's probably the case. And the reason I think so well, I'm sorry, The you know, the reason I think, you know, it's clear from uh, many near-death experiencers who come back and have these after-effects that they have connection to the other side often and can commune with spirits on the other side. Here's my concern. What is to say that the spirit that is being connected with on the other side is not a dece- deceiving spirit? Appearing as grandfather saying, oh, you know, you need to do this with your life and you need to continue doing this and stop doing that, or you need to stop worrying about this or about that. If they have malicious intent in doing that, isn't it possible that they could be leading me away from my life mission, away from the things that I'm here to do? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I suspect it probably doesn't happen all that often, but what if it does? happen? And what if I'm the one that happens to experience it? I don't know that medium from anybody else. And they say, you know, well, they can confirm it because they, they know of this detail about your grandparents that only you and your grandparent knew. Well, that could be the case. But keep in mind, these spirits, as it says in here, we're not just randomly going around causing mischief. They were sent on a, on a mission, if you will, which means there's more than just meanness and and cruelty there is also malicious intent which means what if that spirit knew my grandma knew me and knew this experience we had had knew of the details that spirit could be useful later to deceive me right i mean it makes sense to me if as it says they they have this conniving whole plan about them, which, you know, if you believe in a devil, this sounds consistent with that. And if you believe in evil spirits, this sounds consistent with that. I don't think it's fair to say that most of the spirits on the earth are evil. I think that's not the case. I think that's very much not the case, but that there are enough of these evil, malicious spirits about could be enough of these, um, Evil, malicious—I think there are. I think that's fair to say, um, based on things that we've shared. You know, the uh, um, the distressing near-death experiences that people have—they are there, and they are trying to cause problems. And sometimes they succeed, and sometimes they don't. But but you can see where I'm going with this. They could be out to deceive. I may receive confirmation from the medium, that this spirit is clearly there. There is clearly somebody there who looks like my grandmother, who acts like my grandmother, who knew my grandmother, perhaps is my grandmother, or perhaps not. You know what I'm saying? You got to be careful. You got to be careful about these things. And, And so I'm hesitant. Here's another, um, another, uh, uh, two cents into the, uh, uh, you know, people consider past life regressions as, um, as proof of reincarnation. Now, I can't say that they're not evidence of it. There's no question that that, uh, um, that seems to lean that direction. But there is also the fact that there are other spirits on the earth, both malicious benign and good spirits on the earth going around and trying to interact with humans. Some for good, some for bad, and some just, you know, like this, this guy that's trying to tell his, his daughter how to handle the family business (laughs) and, and just not able to get through to her that I would consider benign. It probably doesn't matter. Um, but, uh, but it's a thing. It's there, you know, who's to say, with what we know about merging, with what we know about the extent of the incompleteness of the lives of others that can be experienced in either a near-death experience or, or you know, in some kind of connection with the spirit world. Who's to say that you're not going to these past life regressionists and experiencing the life of, of a spirit who has died and either come back or or still remains around and wants to connect with humans, can't seem to find a way to do it. That finds these past life regressionists and say, "Hey, this guy can give us a, a little bit of a influence in the world. We can do something. It's it's different. It's weird, but you know, we're given this." You, we can go to this person and allow another person to see our life review and experience life in some measure, maybe even possess them a little bit, or or they possess us, or whatever, however that works, whether malicious or evil or, or good in intention, what it seems to come down to is that all three are possible. Good, evil, and benign. And I suppose it's not fair to place everything in between good and evil as benign, but I, I'm just saying that as a, as a way of saying there's, there's a whole spectrum of things to consider in all of this. So if you're considering going to a past life regressionist or, or to a hypnotist to see pre-earth life or whatever, just keep in mind that there are spirits of all kinds, and they are learning as we are, they may have some incredible advantages in their learning, uh, as we see from these kind of experiences. But uh, it's not to say that everything, you know, it, it's kind of like, it's like we're children, and we try to trust adults. And so we think, well, most adults are good. So if I just go to this random adult in, a, and seek their help, You, are you going to get help from them? Well, probably because most adults are good enough to do that, but not all are. I think that's that might you might say that's a good comparison. I think it's fair to say you can trust your parents, okay? You can trust those who love you and, and who you've proven to trust, but you may not be able to trust all adults. And in this case, it, it, you know, um, the comparison is there are good spirits, And you know you can trust your parents. You know you can trust God. Okay? Pray to Him. Don't be afraid to pray to Him. In fact, you always know you can pray to Him. But you can't trust all spirits. Anyway. Okay. I took that a little long. But I think it's something that was really, really worth saying. Because this this is one of the reasons that that I share these things, too. To say there is so much going on. And I think we should study, and I think we should understand everything we can about God and the spirit world, and our and our own spiritual capacities, and so forth. But be careful, be careful. Okay, um, let's see. Okay, we already talked about the mischief that they uh, caused. That they um, they were commissioned by their master. They weren't just sent randomly. They they have. Um, things going on. Okay. I love this part. I love, love, love hearing the wood and the rocks. I mean, how cool is that? He goes into this office or, or wherever he's going around in. And uh, this particular office is very good. (laughs) Apparently the person there is very good because they were happy to, you know, he goes, passes through the desk and he can see that this tree or this desk was made from different trees. And he saw each tree and he knew the moment of their their seed germinating all the way until they're harvested. He could, he basically experienced something of the life review of the trees of, from this desk. I mean, what the heck is that? How cool is that? What? And okay, I, I that's all I'm going to say about that for now. It's so cool. <laughs> He says, I knew them from the moment of their seed Germany till their harvest. Okay, there was, okay, check this out. Um, they, there was a living component in the wood. It was intelligent, but had little will. It was content to be wood, and it was pleased that someone had chosen it to be shaped into this desk. There's a scripture that talks about things to act and things to be acted upon. I think that might be what we're talking about here, that you, to some extent, a tree can act, but a wood really can't act. And a human can act much more than a wood can. A bug can act more than wood or than a tree can. And so there's different levels of agency, if you will, it seems, in these things. That seems to be what I'm reading here. But um, this roll top desk was quite beautiful. Um, he understood the craft, the love of the craftsman that and had put his work into his desk. He knew the guy's name and, um, he said the desk also felt pure and worthy because it had never been used in anything that offended God. Sorry, my phone is ringing, but my family will get it upstairs. Um, so, uh, between, between the questions of agency, which we talked about a little bit, the wood versus the tree versus a bug versus a human, versus the level of intelligence of a bug to a, a, a tree to a rock to a, you know whatever, and then level of good and evil, this spectrum of good and evil keeps coming up. In this account, and we hear it in other near-death experiences, but it's often glossed over for the simple fact that judgment doesn't seem to be what people expect judgment to be. Okay, sorry, I had to pause for a second there and uh, answer the phone because I forgot my wife and kids aren't home right now. Um, so yeah, um, so yeah, we, you know, we hear from near-death experiences that there's no judgment and, and that, you know, everything is right and so forth. And yet you hear from them also that you see the effect that you have on others and it, you know, you see the harm that it does and you see the whatever. And if you don't, you know, it, it's not like we're trying, they're trying to say that, that it doesn't matter what you do ever because nothing matters um, because they are saying we don't want to do harm. And it's about love, you know, and that seems to be what it comes down to is the good and evil seem to be acts of harm and acts of love, acts of hurt and suffering and unkindness versus acts of love and devotion and unity and so forth. And uh, when you think of, for example, I mean, you know, we talk about no judgment and yet, you know, he talks about Uh, this kind of lurid uh, um, relationship that's taking place um, on a particular desk. Not this one that he's, or not the first one that he sees, but in another office. And it's a very nice office, he says, More, more nicely furnished than most even. And beautiful pictures. And he says that he's suddenly shocked as he passes through this desk at its calling out for um, what's the wording that it uses? Longing for redemption. That it's seeing that, that, uh, it had been used for, in crimes or for more, let's see. Oh, well, it says that some objects in, in the world have been used, uh, by their owners for crimes or for violent or immoral purposes. And that that causes them to sorrow in a way. And, um, and so there is something of good and evil, just not the uh, um, fire and brimstone kind of hatred type of uh, justice that we seem to um, associate often with judgment. So again, it comes back to that to that question of what what is meant by judgment, what is meant by good and evil. Okay, he uses the word evil a lot. He's he, as far as I can gather so far. He's a religious person, so that may be um, why he's using that term instead of um, saying you know something like the outcomes and the and suffering and and so forth, the the consequences and and, and such. But um, but it's interesting to me. And there was oh, I did want to. Uh, Read again, or uh, not read, um, did want to discuss what he says, I found that man-made things like steel and plastic were harder to walk through and had no voice. I couldn't discern their story or their history. They were dead to me at that, that time. I learned later that they were part of the living earth, but did not learn until that much later how to experience the earth and so he's going to go on and talk about uh, in, somewhere later in the book, I, I assume, about how to interact with the earth, which I can't wait to read that. <laughs> but uh, he talks about how the hides of the cow's leather, um, and this is what's interesting to me, uh, when you think about the wood, he can remi- He can see the trees that they came from and their their whole lives, he can see the life. uh and name of the uh, the craftsman who made it, and then he talks about the couch, the leather couch. He says, he says, I understood the several cattle whose hides covered the couch, and their lives and their sacrifice. They had left all that information with their hides, but the spirit of the cow was elsewhere, not in the leather. Okay, so that is is very comforting to know. So I think it's fair to say that probably the wood that he's seeing in the desk is not the spirit of the tree. But it is something else. It is something different. You know, I mean, does do my fingernails have some kind of life about them, some kind of spirit that when I remove them, is there still something there? It sounds like there is, and it's not something that's like, Oh no! I've been killed. Oh no! I've been separated from my body. Whatever you know, because this leather—it says that this leather—it's. Um, he says, but the cow, the spirit of the cow, was elsewhere, not in the leather. Although still pleased and content with the benefits to mankind that its life and sacrifice had rendered, it was pleased that it was of benefit to the children of Adam. Holy mackerel, how many levels of life are there? I mean, and he talks about the rocks. He talks about how he specially enjoyed the stonework, whose voice, as he says, was ancient, predating the formation of the earth. It remembered its creation and luxuriated and rejoiced in being beautiful and useful to man. I found that I like rocks, he says, they are magnificent, or they they all magnify Christ. I I liked their company and sense of timeless patience and eternal worship of Christ. What the heck? You know, (laughs) how cool is that? That uh, rocks are a form of life. That wood is a form of life. That leather is a form of life. And it's not even the same form of life, not the same spirit that the cow had. The cow had its own spirit that went on, but the leather has this life that was connected to the spirit of the cow, but was not it itself. What does that, whoa, it's like this fractal of life. I don't get it. I don't get it, but I love it. (laughs) There's something there that's just cool. Now, was that leather and this is totally going off the deep end too but was that was the use of the leather in the making of the couch something of the creation of a thing that couch that gives it a new form of spirit i don't or or that invites in a form of spirit i i have no idea that's really crazy out there but you know there was another place where we'd read about buildings Having a form of spirit, and I I don't understand that. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. And yet, that whole spectrum, no, that fractal form of life seems to be a thing. And how cool is that? So uh, mind blown. Let's just put it that way. I <laughs> I, I I'm gonna have to. Um, read this again and I'm gonna to have to watch for other in other near death experiences for this idea of inanimate objects having spirits. I mean, even the idea of rocks kinda of having spirits, I I can almost accept that even more than the couch. But some part of me resonates with this idea of a couch even being a form of life, not the same level of life that a, that a tree or a bug or a, you know, a cow or a person is, but having another form of life and rejoicing in it. And you know what? I was listening to a near-death experience yesterday by a woman who talked about how she was in her home, her spirit was in her home, and she sensed the couch was saying, I am here to serve you. How did she say it? I am a couch in service of God. Or no, sorry. I am I am a couch in service of you in service of God. I am a floor in service of you in service of God. I am a, you know, lampshade in service of you in service of God. And it was like it was just kind of echoing this harmony of that message. Whoa Again, mind blown. So cool. Okay, and before we go I want to reiterate again our phone number is nine seven oh six three three two two seven eight or 2278 uh, or, in other words uh nine seven zero NDE cast. We also have a email which is near death experience podcast at gmail dot com. Please contact me. Tell me if, if these uh podcasts are of any value or use to you. Um, It does mean a lot to me. And if you would like your question, uh, comment, um, share on the podcast, just say so. Or if you definitely don't want it shared, um, say that you don't want it shared. And I won't. But uh, I would like to say that I have really appreciated this opportunity to be able to offer something to the world, to people, to individuals out there um, that may offer a little bit of hope, a little bit of of, uh, uh, spiritual message, something that, that encourages people to come closer to God in some way. And if that does that for you, then I feel like it is worth it to me. So please contact me, let me know if that is the case for you. And with that, thank you, all of you, so much again for listening.